Warning, the following podcast may contain graphic content, language, sexual nature that some may find offensive. Listening discretion is advised. Hey everybody, it's Tommy Canelli and welcome back to Before the Lights Podcast, the show that tells you how they made their mark. She's an author and a victim of sexual assault and almost was murdered. She is now out to heal and inspire others with her story. Please welcome to the show, Ashley Michelle. Ashley, welcome to Before the Lights. Thank you so much, Tommy, for having me on your show to share my story. Yes, and it is a story for sure. And listeners, as you heard in the beginning, there is a warning to the show. We're going to be talking about murder and sexual assault and rape and some of these things. So if that is not for you, this is the time to hit stop or fast forward past this uh, episode. Ashley, start here. Tell me about your life before this tragic day happened. So uh, before this tragic day, I experienced a lot of trauma in my past. Um, I no longer talk to my biological parents as they're both extremely toxic. I was slapped across the head by my biological father telling me that I was effing stupid. Um, Growing up, I always felt like I was never good enough. I was never enough. Uh, When my biological sister was born, it was All the attention was on her and I just kind of got put on the back burner. They would, my biological sister and mother would go out shopping all the time and they would leave me behind. And then I was bullied in school on top of that. So my self-esteem, my self-confidence was totally derailed. Um, And then I got into my first relationship in college And that was extremely abusive. I had a knife pointed at me at one point. Um, I was cheated on. I was shoved into a wall. Um, It's been trauma after trauma. And when you're going through something so horrific in your life, you have to uncover every single stone. So when I went to counseling in college for my abusive relationship, I had to go back and talk about everything from past, present to future. And then I had to do that all again in 2016 when I started counseling, because that is the only way that you're going to heal from your trauma. Nobody else can save you. You have to be willing to talk about absolutely everything. Even if you don't think that it's that significant, it can have a huge influence on you in your emotions. So you've had to put it mildly, a very difficult life up to this point. I wouldn't say I don't, yes, difficult, but at the same time, I always try to tell myself that there's somebody going through worse Mm -hmm. than I am. Not to say that my trauma is any less significant, but you know, when I see people that are on the streets that are shooting up, I don't ask myself anymore why I ask myself, why not? I ask myself, what significant trauma did they go through to get to that point? Like when the police first sat down with me, they told me, please make us a promise. Don't turn to the streets for sex, prostitution, drugs, alcohol. And it's just so sad that that's the first thing that the police have to say to you. And that's when you know the statistics are high for people to turn to drugs. So now when I see a homeless person, I, I wonder truly what what is their story? What did they go through to get to the spot that they're at? 
And I'm so lucky and I'm so grateful because yes, I had a difficult life, but I had so much support. I had so many positive people constantly cheering me on where other people don't have that. I'm going to break down this horrific day, but before I go there, tell me and my listeners, what was your relationship with your boyfriend prior to this day? How long have you known him? How long have you been dating? Uh, I really wouldn't call it, I would call it like an on and off again, kind of fling relationship. It wasn't anything serious. Um, but, uh, it was probably two years, but he went out West and for a year. So we kind of talked in that time, not too, too much. And then when he came back from out West, he was completely different. And it's crazy because he went to school for police foundations and criminology. Mm. Like we think that we know somebody and we think that we can trust them. And it doesn't matter what their background is. It doesn't matter what job they are. Trust can be broken so quick and so fast. And this happened in London, Ontario, correct? Correct. August 27, 2016. Describe how the day started for you. So it was actually August 28th that this event happened. But the 27th, I had to go to a good life party uh, for a guy that was leaving good life. One of my managers that I was working for. So we talked off and on that night. Um, Nothing seemed you know, insane to me or anything like that. He was actually with the deceased. They were hanging out. Uh, I talked to the deceased that night. I was actually, I believe I was one of the last people to talk to him. Um, but nothing out of the ordinary. Like he asked me for a rent deposit for, cause he was going to get a new place. And I said, no. And he wanted to live with another girl. And I was like, no, no, no. So I kind of put my foot down on that. And then he called me at 5.30 the next day. So August 28th, he called me. Um, He asked me to come to the deceased's apartment. I didn't really think anything of it because we met at all kinds of different times. You didn't know that he had committed murder at this point? No, no, no. Did he sound like he was on drugs or drunk for the night before, drunk that morning? Or did he sound the same to you? He sounded like his typical self, like okay. didn't sound stressed, didn't sound like nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. So then I got to the apartment and I waited 40 minutes in the lobby and I was like, he's called me here and he's taking so long. And then another individual showed up and I told that individual to go home because he was working a night shift. And so I waited in the lobby got upstairs. One of the elevators were actually broken. This was on the 18th floor that this occurred on. And so when he finally met me down, first we went outside for a bit and we talked and sent that other individual away. And, but then like, I could see like bruising on his knuckles and I could see that he, um, his toe was cut. And I said, like, what happened? And he said, Oh, like some glass and stuff. And I was like, I really didn't think anything severe of it and so we went up um to the apartments and the apartment was just it was covered in in blood when you walked in ashley explain to my listeners i mean you say the apartment was covered in blood describe to me the first thing you saw 
the thoughts that went through your head right away when you saw all this? That I was the next one to be murdered. I kept asking where the deceased was. I wasn't, he locked all the doors behind me. So there was two to three locks on that door. And then he told me I wasn't going anywhere. He grabbed my phone from my hands. And I kept saying, where's Nathan, where's Nathan? And then he took me over to where the deceased was lying in a bathtub covered in blood. And he told me that he was already going away for one count of murder. So why not make it two? How did he so, kill Nathan? He beat him to death with his bare hand. And Nathan, we found out at the trial that he was actually alive for two to three hours and he watched him watched him and then at the trial he wanted to plead manslaughter and uh say that it was an accident but we both know that everybody knows that an accident is like a it's a car accident beating someone with your bare hands that's not an accident no that's intent and he took, he had no problem taking a naked selfie of himself covered in blood because he was like, well, I've never seen anything like this. It was like a movie. That's what he said on trial when he took the stand. Um, it was horrific. But I knew from watching crime shows that I had to stay cool, calm and collective because the moment that I showed fear, it was going to get me killed. So I kept like complimenting him as messed up as it sounds, meaning like you have your whole life ahead of you. You know, you had so many people like rooting for you. You're, you're a great person and just trying to keep the situation as calm as I could. And he kept asking me to go to the balcony and I knew like we're on 18 stories. He's just going to push me off the balcony and say it was an accident so I knew that that was not an option. And uh, he wanted me to clean up the blood. Like, that's all that he kept talking about. That's all that he wanted. And I said, no. I said, even if you were to clean up all this blood right now, all the police have to do is shine a light. Like, you know this from, you took this in school. And he, that wasn't good enough for him. And then that's when he strangled me. He told me to shut the F up at one point. And then he was like, I'm going away for a long time. And then kept pulling down my pants. I don't know, like two, three times and kept telling me he was going away for a long time. So, you know, and I was like, no, absolutely not. Like it's not an option. And then he got madder and then he ended up going to the bathroom and I ended up running down 18 because one of the elevators were broken and I had, I had no time to wait for an elevator. So I ran down 18 flights of stairs and it showed, um, in the trial that he was moments seconds away from meeting me downstairs in the lobby. So I went to a convenience store in the convenience store. guy kind of gave me a little bit of a hard time and told me to use the payphone outside. <laughs> and I was like, but I don't feel safe. The back of my shirt is covered in blood from standing at the door. Um, so I call from the payphone outside. Two police officers show up. Uh, they read me right, my rights because that's what they have to do because they don't know the situation. 
they told me I was free to leave at any time, but I was like, no, no, no. I want to give my statement. And that's when the police first, before they even asked me anything was like, can you please make us a promise that you won't turn to the streets? And that was the whole reason behind me writing a book was because if I could save one person from turning to the streets, because trauma happens to 15 year olds, 12 year olds, and their brains aren't even processed yet. So they think going to the streets is their solution, their way out. So I knew that this was not just an Ashley situation now. This was a worldwide epidemic. People are survivors and witnesses to crime every day. Some people, they don't make it out and some people do. And I knew that I had to step up and I had to provide justice. But that was a process because in October of 2016, it was Thanksgiving and everything just became so overwhelming that I decided to mix a bunch of pills with alcohol. And I thought, why not just take me out? I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to feel this way. Everything for me, I had survivor's guilt. I felt guilty for doing things like crossing the street. I was like, why did I get to get out? But the deceased didn't. I lived with that and lived with that. And I, I was like, why couldn't I have done more? Why couldn't have I, you know, went out with Will that night? And then Nathan would still be alive. I blamed myself and blamed myself. And I, it was just so overwhelming. Let me ask you a couple questions. Let's go back for a second. Did you ever find out why he beat Nathan to death? What happened there? He, he said that he was drunk. He used all kinds of different excuses. I think that we'll never truly know what happens. I think only the deceased really know what happens. And then he tried to blame me for it too and say that um, when I was talking to the deceased that uh, it was flirtatious and he got jealous, which was not the case at all. There was no flirting. Um, Even if it was, it's not a reason to kill somebody. Exactly. He's taken no responsibility no ownership, nothing. He actually wrote me a letter while he was in jail and my crown attorney asked me if I wanted it. And I said, yes. And in that letter, he said, I hope to someday make things right. I don't know how you can ever, ever make something like that right. Like I absolutely 110% obviously want nothing to do with him. And I wish that he was staying behind bars for the rest of his life. But our justice system is so corrupt and he's actually up for full eligibility in 2030 and day parole, I think in like 2028 or 29. And it's just like, why can he get out by the time he's in his 40s and he can still get married and have a life, but the deceased can't. That's where I think that there is absolutely no justice in our system. He was found guilty, though, of second-degree murder, right? He was, correct. And did he plead guilty to, to the death threats and assaulting you? Um, he pled. So one of the charges was forceful confinement, mm. and he would not plead guilty to that charge. He said that I could leave whenever I wanted, which <laughs> we all know is a horrible lie. Um, He took no responsibility, but he pled guilty to uh, the other charges um, in relations to me. 
And then, like I said, he tried and actually this year, he actually went for an appeal and said that he tried to argue one of the judges, uh, charges. And he also, which was based on a technicality. And then he wanted to plead manslaughter again. And it's, if he went for another trial and it's like, no, like, why do they even after a certain amount of time, they shouldn't even get that opportunity to, to make a plea. He was originally though, sentenced to life in prison with no chance for parole for 14 years. Correct. Yes, that's correct. And what I don't like, too, is before the trial occurred, you get double time and a half for every day served before you go into the trial, which was counted in that 14 years, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. So in July of 2022 was the appeal after six years. And and that decision now is he could get out in 2028 to 2030, correct? Correct. Yeah, I. He needs to stay behind bars. Make a difference with free as a tea. Did you know one in five Americans will experience a mental health challenge every year? Free as a tea is giving the gift of good. For every t-shirt purchased, $5 will be donated to the Mental Health Coalition to support mental health resources for the millions of people who need them. Plus, for every purchase, one shirt is donated to someone in need. Free your mind and shop with a cause. Buy one, give one for $45 and learn more about us and our mission at freeasatea.com or click the link in the show notes. Make a difference one tea at a time. Happy tea time. Exactly. And what else I don't get is I really do feel like if he had the opportunity that he would 110% reoffend because we never thought he would offend in the first place. But you know what? I think people that go to jail for something as simple as selling drugs or, you know, robbery, I think some of those young people can change. But I think people that are sexual offenders or murderers, I don't think that they ever change. They only learn to manipulate the system. And that is exactly what he's doing now behind bars. Did he have anger issues? Uh, not really, uh, not anything that I saw at least. I mean, he had a rough upbringing. I, he was adopted and, uh, he was never really close with his adoptive parents, but he did have a biological sister that he was adopted with. He was from Guatemala actually. Why do you think he did it? I have no idea. I, I honestly have no, like they were like brothers. They were inseparable. They were best friends for like 12, 10, 12 years. I want to say that like the deceased's family would have him over for dinners. They would send leftovers home for, they treated him like a son. They did everything for him. And that's the part that angers me the most is you had so many people that were in your quarter that would have done anything for you. And this is how you repay that. That's what I can't understand and comprehend. And I know I'm sure you've done this, but looking back, did you see warning signs that everybody just kind of would look over because you didn't think anything would like this would ever occur? I know, because like I said, you know, we, 
think that we're safe because him, he went to school for police foundations, criminal. He worked for the city. Like he had a, a good history from what I knew of him. Like he, I was introduced from a mutual friend with him. And I, there was other than, you know, being a, a bit of a player and stuff like that, there was nothing that stood out to me that would say, he's going to kill somebody. You said you've had a lot of trauma and you have PTSD, depression, anxiety, all very logical reasons why you'd be dealing with this. But my question to you is how are you coping with everything? I'm coping with everything by honestly just helping other people out. Uh, I actually had somebody from the States reach out to me and he was a witness to a homicide as well that's what helps me writing blogs is what helps me going to the gym, working out, having a huge support network that I have. That's what helps me stay strong And my counselor. Like she's great. I still keep in touch with her. Like if I need an emergency session, she'll fit me in. Um, I've just been surrounded by so many amazing individuals and I am 100% truly grateful because I don't think that I would be where I needed to be if it wasn't for everybody who, you know, cheered me on, who believed in me. I I had three amazing individuals during the trial that put their lives on pause for me and sat there and held my hand every day, took off holidays from work to sit there in that trial with me. And I will never, ever forget it. There's no repayment. There's no, I can thank them a million times and I still don't feel like it's, it's enough. Um, I truly believe that family is not defined by blood. Family is who you make it to be. And those people that stood by my side every day, wiped my tears. Those are the people that I consider to be my family. You wrote the book, finding strength through tragedy, a portion of the proceeds going to help survivors of crime. Do you feel like writing this book, Ashley, for you was more about a healing process than actually writing the book? It's crazy. Yes. I actually came up with the title before I came up with any of the words Mm. in the book. Yeah. I knew that I wanted it to reflect strength. I knew I wanted it to be a healing journey and I knew that I wanted it to be relatable to others because I wanted to be that, that teaching tool, that teaching lesson for somebody else. And I wanted people to feel all the emotions that they need to feel in order to heal. And I wanted people to be like, oh, yes, I, I understand that. I, I went through that. I wanted people to take a deep dive in, in anxiety and depression and PTSD. Because it is more common than we think. I used to think that PTSD was something that only war vets got. Like when my doctor diagnosed me and did the test with me, I was like, no, I, I can't have PTSD. But you can you can get it through any type of trauma. Go to ashleyinspires.com. You can get your hands on the book. I'm going to ask you a couple questions in regards to maybe the book and your life and the incident. One is, do you feel like there's strength in trauma? I do feel like there's strength in trauma, but I feel like you have to get to that point. Like everything that I went through and endured in my life, even before 2016, I don't regret any of it. It has turned me into the person that I am now. I mean, I hate that 
somebody died as a result. I wish that that was changed, but it has been the biggest lesson in life to me to, you know, not that trust is something that you need to build over Mm. time. It doesn't come easy to me anymore. It's hard for me. I mean, I still have wounds. I still have bad days like everybody else. But I truly think that you do find strength through your trauma. And the strength comes from having a toolbox full of resources that you can go to when you are struggling. So you don't turn to the streets. For me, that toolbox is my support network, my counselors, uh, the gym. Those are all my resources that help me. Now, every person's going to be different and have different tools in their toolbox. Some people don't go to therapy. Some people want group therapy because they want to be able to talk to other people. Some people like the one-on-one approach. I think it all has to do with the person, but I think that Nobody else is going to be your savior. You have to be your own savior. You have to be your own light at the end of the day. Nobody else can twist your arm and force you to get better, no matter what age you are. You are responsible for you, and you have to be willing to put in the work, the dedication, and go through everything that has happened in your life, because that is the only way that you're going to heal. This may be a really, I mean, my listeners are probably going to go, wow, that's a crazy question. And it's probably going to be, but I'm curious now, listen to what you just said. Did this horrific crime teach you something? Absolutely. Um, it taught me that this is a worldwide epidemic, that people are going through this every single day. It opened my eyes to people on the streets, like why they do what they do, why they shoot up. I feel like I'm a lot less judgmental now. I I understand. I understand trauma. I understand what it's like to have anxiety. I understand what it's like to have depression. I understand that you don't just snap out of it and it's one day better. It has opened my eyes in more ways than one. It has made me keep my circle small. It has made me realize that there are so many people out there struggling and that by sharing my story, I can help other people. And that's what is most important to me is being that teaching tool and you know, being a positive influence and that positive role model for other people. Like, I don't share this story so people can have pity on me or feel sorry for me. I want it to be relatable and I want people to feel comfortable enough to reach out to me. I actually had somebody that I knew reach out to me that was in a domestic violent relationship and they asked me for some resources. And I love just being able to be that support for others. What challenges are you still encountering today? I still struggle sometimes with the whole survivor's guilt. Like if I, if I did this different, if I, if I didn't go to the party and I know that you can't go on what ifs, but I, I do sometimes have to step back and be like, 
no matter what I did or didn't do, like, even if it didn't happen on that day, it could have happened on a different day. Maybe I could have prevented it that day, but who's to say I would have prevented it in the future. Uh, that's something that I, I struggle with. And, you know, it was really hard and it was really challenging. It, it's gotten a little bit better, but me being here and the deceased not, I, I struggled with that so much, but I know that me and the deceased have one thing in common. And he was a person that wanted to make the world a better place. And I know if roles were reversed, he'd be writing a book. He'd be sitting down having this podcast with you. Um, he was very much, you know, that person that wanted to make a positive change and, and be that inspiration to other people. So him and I definitely have that in common. You know, he helped the Will as he was going through a time. He helped him land on his feet. He got him a job interview. That's the kind of person the deceased was. He was always thinking about other people and putting other people before himself. Hopefully you're having more good days than bad days. I mean, it, it depends on the season and everything too. And, you know, anniversaries. Um, and this is, I have to deal with my ex for the rest of my life and I don't even have kids with him. And so we get parole packages now, which is a challenge in itself. And when I get those parole packages, I really, sometimes I, you know, reach out to my counselor because it's like you're reliving that trauma all over again. Um, when you get like the testing scores and everything. And I'm, I mean, I'm glad in a sense that, you know, the jails wants to keep you updated on what's going on, but it is pretty traumatizing. And I always, I'm glad that I get some of those packages before the deceased's family. So at least I can pre-warn them what's to come. Um, but it is, it's, it never goes away. You know what I mean? There's always, there's anniversaries. There was last year, the appeal stuff. It's, it's always going to be in front of you, but you have to be willing to take the steps that you need to move forward in a healthy, positive way and not let it ruin you, not let it get you down. How have you been able to move forward? And it's okay if you don't want to answer this in other relationships since then, is it taken time? Have you been able to get past that and have other relationships? It has definitely taken time. I mean, I, I have some moments where I, I do struggle to communicate, to say what's on my mind. I, I'm not the easiest person to be in a relationship with. I actually just uh, currently moved in with my current boyfriend. Cool. Um, yeah. So he's actually been really good with me. He's been really patient with me. I mean, he knows everything that I've been through, everything that I've experienced. Um, I, I try to be the best person that I can be for him. I know that I don't always make things easy. Um, I do keep some things in that at times because it's hard to express myself. So I'm, I'm learning um, slowly, but surely, but it's, it's a process and I'm, I'm really grateful. And like I said, he's been so patient and so graceful for everything that I have gone through currently going through. It's, it's really nice to have that positive uplifting support. That is a perfect place to end this on that happy note right there. 
That is, that's the spot to end this right there. So I'm going to and say thank you for coming on the show. I wish you nothing but happiness going forward. I can't tell you how terrible I feel that anybody had to go through this and let alone for you to be able to talk about it and come on my show just to let other people know, hey, these tragic events are happening every day in our lives, somewhere in the world, and don't turn a blind eye to it. You can get help. There are other avenues for you. And hopefully this message that we just put out there got to at least one person. And if not, maybe multiple people. My book is on Amazon and uh, my website is currently being rebuilt. So I'm really excited to share that soon. And you can also find my YouTube channel, Ashley Inspires as well. Awesome. Well, have a great day. And have a great rest of, of this 2023. It's brand new. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much. And thank you for providing me with this platform to share my story. You are welcome. Listeners, you can go check out my YouTube channel as well called The Light Short Inspirational Videos to get you onto the path to have a greater you and a better life. The link will be in the show notes as well in the show notes on how to get to Ashley's YouTube channel. And I'll put a link to her website. So when it's revamped, you'll be ready to go. And I'll put a link to the book as well. Thank you for listening to Before the Lights. I'm Tommy Canale. And until next time, everybody, I salute a chin chin.